Open up your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. We read all of chapter 7 and all of chapter 8 last week, but I wasn't able to uh, break down chapter 8, so we're going to be going through that a little bit, touching on a few things, and then we're going to be reading out of some other sections of the Bible. Now, this Bible that we have, um, this is the Word of God. Everything in here is written through inspiration of the Holy Ghost. God used people that were on this earth to write things for Him. God wants relationship with each and every one of you. Relationship. So that to show you that he wants relationship, he sent a person, capital P person, down to earth. And that person was our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I didn't really get to talk too much about Melchizedek last week, and so we can figure out who this person was, but I just want to touch on that for just a second. But Melchizedek, if you remember what we read about him, he is out of this world. He is from out of this world. He is a king that just doesn't seem human, and I believe because it probably, he probably wasn't human. I believe it was Jesus. If you read about him in the description in chapter 7, it sounds like he is a pre-incarnate Christ on this earth. And he was walking around in a human body, but who was he really? And then when Jesus showed up again, so many, many years after Melchizedek, but he shows up and he's walking around in a human body, but yet he really wasn't from this world. He came from glory to be with us. All right, Hebrews 8. Uh, we, 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 we read all of this last week, so I don't want to reread it, but I want to point out something that is very significant, and we talked about it last week in uh, Hebrews 8.8. 8. It says, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, we're, this writer of Hebrews, this person who is writing this, being inspired by the Holy Ghost, is saying something that is in another part of the Scriptures. And I want to read out of that, and that is Jeremiah 31. So if you're real quick at turning, don't, don't forget to uh, keep your place in Hebrews if you turn. And in uh, Jeremiah 31, starting with verse... 31, 31, 31 through 34. 
It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Wow. Sounds familiar. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. Now we have to realize, as we are reading in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews, that God has not forgotten Israel, and that prophecy is still, even though part of it has already happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up, the other part of that prophecy for the nation of Israel is still being waited on. There's lots of prophecies. Um, when Jesus stood up in the synagogue, I believe it was in Luke 4, he, sta- he goes into the synagogue, he stands up, he reads out of Isaiah, pretty sure it was 61, verses 1 and 2 was what we actually see that he reads, even though he may have read more. You know, a lot of times in Scripture when it says he read and then he, they name what he read, that is only a heading of what all he would have, he would have read. But in that situation, I, I think that he only read a certain portion of it and purposely did not read the second part of it, even though they all knew exactly what it all involved and what the prophecy was. It, because he ended up sitting down and saying, this very day, this prophecy is fulfilled. So he's talking about himself. But there's the second part of the prophecy that he didn't say is fulfilled right now today, but it's coming in the future when he comes back again. Even though it's side by side in Isaiah, it's been 2,000 years between those two pieces of prophecy that were right there together. So you see how the Bible will, t- will say something and it could be thousands of years apart when there are two verses that are side by side. And you have to rightly divide the word of truth and you have to understand that the kingdom of heaven that was nigh unto them It was right there in their grasp for the nation of Israel, but because of the mystery that had been hidden from the ages, 
the nation of Israel was blinded so that the gospel message would be available for all the world, for all the Gentile nations. Great news for all of us. So we must remember that this kingdom of heaven that was promised to the Jewish nation was right there ready for them, but it was never going to actually become part of, of their nation at the time, but there was going to be a, a time of the Gentiles, and until the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, then Israel won't get what was promised to them in the prophecies. But while they're, as a nation, they're waiting on it in the future, the gospel message of Jesus and Him crucified is available to any of them. So there was a remnant who believed of, of Israel. There was always a remnant who believed, and you can go through Scripture and you can see that. You can see it in uh, the story of Esther. You can see Mordecai and Esther being a chosen people out of their nation to save them. You, you see it throughout. And when you get into the New Testament, and Jesus is walking on this earth, the nation of Israel, the greater part of it, denied Him. They did not protect Him. They actually turned Him over to be crucified on a cross. But there was a handful that did believe on Him. There's always a remnant that believe on Jesus, that believe God's ways. <clears throat> so this new covenant... Now, I was, I was talking last week about how <clears throat> that there was eight... That, we're, we're, that new covenant is the eighth covenant, and how important the number eight is in Scripture. Now, what are all of the other covenants? If you, if you happen to have a Schofield Bible, which I know many of you do, if you go down to the bottom of the page of this, you will see the, the note that's talking about uh, Hebrews 8.8, 8, talking about this new covenant. Now, this new covenant is uh, it's a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So what are the ones that came before? And you will see a list of them in, uh, under number two, and it says the eight covenants. The first one was that covenant that God made with Adam and Eve in the garden. You can see that in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And it was conditioned the life of man in, in his innocence. The second covenant that God made was um, the covenant where, where after uh, he, the, the fall. And that's in Genesis 3, 14 through 19. The third one was the covenant that God made with Noah after the flood. And that set up the principle of human government. The fourth covenant was the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. And that is what made the nation of Israel what it is. 
I mean, that's where the nation of Israel was actually established through the covenant with Abraham. Now, it was a very special covenant because through Abraham, and not just through Abraham, but more uh, significant through Isaac. Now, Abraham had the one son that really meant everything to us, but there was another son that came before him. And who was that? Lois should know. She's reading a little book about it. Huh? Very good. Ishmael. So we have Abraham's son. So you can't say you're a descendant of Abraham and you're good. Now, the covenant was the covenant to Abraham, but you have the son of the bondwoman. So you could be from Abraham through the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael. Okay? There's many today that are trying to get to heaven through that covenant right now by looking to Abraham and Abraham alone. But they're missing Isaac. And they're trying to please God through the law, by keeping the law. You must look to Isaac, who was taken up on the mountain, and he willfully went along with his father to be killed and offered as a sacrifice. Now that, is, that picture is a picture of Jesus, who many, many years later would go up on that very mountain and, and he would die as a sacrifice. <clears throat> so that was the fourth covenant. And then, all right, so basically what the first, what the, what the first man, Adam, lost, that is a picture of what's coming in the future the second Adam will get everything back, and that's Jesus. Okay, let's go to number five. The uh, covenant that God made with Moses, and it condemns all men for that all have sinned. So the law came from Moses. And then the six, it says the Palestinian covenant, which uh, secures the final restoration and conversion of Israel. And you can see that in uh, Deuteronomy 28 through 30. And then the seventh is the covenant made with David, another significant person. David has got the right to the throne, and because of David, Jesus comes after him and he has the right to the throne. He's going to sit on the throne of David. Now, all of these covenants kind of, see, they don't go away. And God, when he, see, a covenant is a promise. And when God makes a promise, he always holds up to his end of it. Man is the one who breaks it, who falls short. So all of these covenants are still there. The nation of Israel is looking to these covenants. But if they don't see this new covenant, the eighth one, they're going to be lost. They're going to be blinded, and many of them are blinded. Okay, now let's go to Second uh, Corinthians. <clears throat> now I'm going to read chapter 3, but there's a couple of verses before chapter 3 that I just want to bring out to you. 
In chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, look at uh, verse 10 and 11. It says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, the person of Christ. And then it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, and then it says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Did you get that? Did you hear that? It says, we, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, that's talking about Satan. Many of us are very ignorant of Satan's devices. We don't know what he's doing to cause people to fall away from God because we are ignorant of his devices. We need to understand our enemy. To effectively fight our enemy, we need to know their tactics. We need to know what to be beware of. <clears throat> so I thought that was interesting. And then the last verse of chapter 2, it says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So this is telling us, anytime you see a second, we got a lot of seconds in the New Testament. We have 2 Corinthians. You have 2 Peter. You have 2 Thessalonians. You have, even have 2 John, but when you see the seconds, they were written, the first was written, and then the second came along, and it's almost always warnings. It's warning you about something. And this is some warning right here. You, we need to be aware of Satan's devices, his ways, and then we need to Understand that many corrupt the Word of God. Okay? Many corrupt. <clears throat> and I've given you all kinds of examples of how people have corrupted the Word of God. All right, now for chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or... Need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Listen to this. Ye are our epistle. We got epistles in the, in the New Testament here, letters written, but he's saying that you, each and every one of you, are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You are a letter that's walking around being read. <clears throat> For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. What did we just read over in Jeremiah? How he was going to put
put His Word in their hearts, put it in their inward parts, and write His laws inside of them. Four, this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, And such trust we, have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, talking about that old covenant, kills, but the Spirit giveth life. This new covenant is of the Spirit, and it gives you life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. If, that, if the law that Moses brought down and he was glowing, if, if, if it was that glorious, you need to understand that the new covenant is even more glorious than that. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doeth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious." Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Did you get that? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, we keep talking about how we live in a free country. Why are we free? The only reason that we are free is because of the Spirit of the Lord that has blessed this country. But we have become a country that has forgotten that. There is example after example of the leadership in this country that has pushed God out, pushed His Word out, have gone into schools and taken down the Ten Commandments, the public squares, anything that references God and believing on God has been taken down, and we are not to speak of it. We're going to lose our liberty in this country. If we don't go back to what the Word of God says 
and be people who demand that the Word of God be trusted and cherished. And we got to stand on it and be brave. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. <clears throat> Back to Hebrews 8. Now what I read out, out of uh, Jeremiah 31 is pretty much what 8 is talking about. I mean, we get to the very end of, of chapter 8. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities, iniquities will I remember no more, in that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now let's go to Romans chapter 11. Romans 11. Now all of this... <clears throat> Uh, section of scripture right here in Romans 11, it actually starts in 9. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 go together. And one of the, one of the most famous verses that you all know uh, is, in, is in Romans 10. And I'm looking at, you know, in, in 9, it is, it is talking about how... The gospel does not do away with all those covenants that we talked about. The nation of Israel is still relevant. <clears throat> and what we get, our Lord and Savior came from the nation of Israel. It came from the tribe of Judah. And we are very, very um, happy about all that. All right, in 10, let's go over, to, I'm going to just read this couple verses in 10 before we read 11. Verses 9 and 10. First, with this, this read 8. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So there's no difference between Greek and Jew, if you keep reading. Okay, now, chapter 11. I say then, hath God, this is a question being asked, hath God cast away his people? It says, God forbid. That means absolutely not. For I also am an Israelite. This is Paul writing the Romans, to the Romans, right? He says, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. 
Want ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah? It says Elias in the King James, but Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the, the answer of God unto him? So God said, look, I have res reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. So, going back to Abraham and his two sons, Ishmael, that would be the works. Isaac, that would be the grace. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now, now the rest of this is talking about the being grafted, being cut away, and then being grafted back in. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. So why are you holy? The only reason you could be holy as a branch is if you're grafted into the root, which is Jesus. It's the only way. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, so you, you're, not even, you're not even part. I mean, you're, you're of a whole different order. But yet, you can be grafted into it. What makes you think that the natural branches can't be grafted back in at some point? Work grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. 18. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So the root's got you. You don't have the root. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. So we're never to think we're better because none of this is, is, has anything to do with what we've done. 
God had already planned this out, and don't think you're better because God has not forgot them, and he is going to graft them back in at a future date. All right, 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So if you don't get this, and you're not grafted in to Jesus, then if he broke off the branches from his elected nation, Israel, do you think you're safe? He'll, he'll uh, prune you off and throw you into the fire. Behold, therefore, the goodness and se severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. All right, we're almost done. And so all Israel shall be saved. Whoa. It said, so, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That means God, if he's offered it, He's not going to change his mind. He doesn't take away. See, you, you are the ones that are at fault if you don't believe on it. He's put it out there for you, and he's not going to change the rules of the game. For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. The nation of Israel, they're going to be jealous because we have what they should have had. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So, just to, just to try to help you understand how this new covenant came in, and was available to us dirty, rotten Gentiles. And I, I just I want you to see how 
the fullness of the Gentiles must be completed before God can go back to the nation of Israel and say again, the kingdom of heaven is nigh unto you. See, the king was not accepted. The king was betrayed, and the kingdom of heaven was taken by force and by violence, and they killed the king, which ended up being great news for us. Well, that was the mystery that was hid from the ages. So that every person in this world has an opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. Every person. It is, it is God's will that every person be saved. And it's our jobs to let everyone know about it. And I don't care what you believe about election and predestination and all that stuff. We have to have an attitude that every person we come in contact with, Jesus died for them, and they need to know about it. And we need to not be ashamed of that gospel. We're not going to know it all. We're not going to be able to figure this out. Uh, some of this is confusing. And, you know, God has given us a free will, and he's given us a job to do. And we are to just believe what he's told us to do, and, and don't try to figure it all out. Just do what the Spirit is leading you to do. Believe on what this simple gospel story tells you. And God's already got it figured out. I mean, he, He's figured it all out. <coughs> Duty is ours. The results are God's. And we need to be a strong Christian people who fight back against the devices of the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we, we just come here. We come into this house as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, that we can open up your word, sing praises to you, Father, to equip ourselves to go out and to do the Great Commission. And Father, we do live in a land that is very special. Father, we established, our forefathers established this land to be a light on a hill. And Father, we need to remember that. And we need to fight to keep that light on that hill. Father, it has been covered up with a bushel basket. And Father, we need to get that taken care of. Father, it's up to each and every one of us sitting here today to stand up for your word so that we can be that light. In Christ's name we pray, amen.